Wasn't that brilliant? And uh, that was the abridged version. If you'd like to have more detail, uh, then uh, you can watch the longer video where Jill will also show you her photographs uh, that, that, that were taken. What we've just heard there is honest faith, isn't it? Honest faith. And uh, Jill, um, who's watching online now, we want to say to Jill, thank you uh, for sharing her story. And we'll give a bit of a shout out to all those watching in the communal lounge at uh, Homestar House as well. Uh, do interrogate Jill afterwards about that procedure. My favorite bit was the bit about the flashing light, but anyway. <laughs> so this morning we continue our teaching series on spiritual gifts, and so far in this series we've discovered that spiritual gifts are to be used in an ordered, informed, and a loving way. We've reminded ourselves that they are for the purpose of encouraging, strengthening, and comforting the church. Well, last weekend we had a brief intermission from this teaching series as uh, the Baptist Assembly came along. Uh, But the week before that, I spoke about the most controversial of all the gifts, which surely is the gift of speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Well, perhaps not surprisingly, on the the Monday morning after that Sunday, I opened up my emails and there it was, the complaint. I do sometimes uh, get them. The complaint was about my use of this image, um, which I used when I was speaking about being a bodybuilder for Jesus. Now, my point was that as a church, we're called to be bodybuilders, not the, the kind of vain bodybuilder you occasionally see in the gym, but the type of bodybuilders who are there to build up the body, which is the church. And what I'm about to share with you, I share with some hesitation because I've never before publicly shared the content of a complaint. But this morning, I want to do so for the sake of being held accountable as a leader by the church. This is what the complaint said. It said, Reverend. (laughs) I always know I'm in trouble when it says Reverend. Uh, Reverend, I noticed on Sunday that an image of myself was displayed, scantily clad, with the head of an older-looking gentleman replacing mine. (laughs) I can appreciate that you might want to preserve my anonymity, but anyone who knows of my physique would immediately guess that it was me. Please would you desist from using images of my finely honed body because such images have quite a commercial value for me, which I've yet to exploit. I must say that apart from that, I found the talk incredibly helpful. Thank you, by the way, to everyone who's fed back. We've not had any complaints so far, but hey, Monday is tomorrow, uh, isn't it? Your emails have been so encouraging, so encouraging to hear how the body of the church is being built up through our faithful, we believe, proclamation of the Word of God. Well, this morning we we dig into slightly more serious stuff for a moment because we're thinking about the ways that God can, or maybe I should say occasionally does, miraculously work in and through his people. This morning we're particularly focusing on the spiritual gift of healing, but in truth my call really this morning is to be a people who exercise an honest faith, the kind of faith that we've seen exhibited already through Jill's testimony. And I'm going to anchor all I've got to say this morning in a little story that comes in the book of Acts, which is all about the early church. If you've got a Bible in front of you, do open it to Acts chapter 19. I'm going to read from verse 11 onwards. Verse 11 says this, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to those who were ill, and their illnesses are cured, and their evil evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. 
they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they all ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this, the miracles, became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they'd done. A number who practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. That's three million pounds in today's money. Three million pounds is what they burned. And in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Well, being a follower of Jesus is never dull, is it? Isn't that obvious from this description that we see of this early church and as we hear of this ministry of the Apostle Paul? This city where they were doing their ministry, Ephesus, is full of magic, it's full of incantations, it's full of exorcisms, and it's into that mix that God is working in some extraordinary ways. The sick were being cured, there were evil spirits being cast out left, right and center. Even the Apostle Paul's clothing, his handkerchiefs, literally translated his sweat rags. Isn't that a pleasant image? His sweat rags seemed to have some kind of anointed power because they touched his skin and as people touched them, they were healed. Witches were crawling out of the woodwork. People were wrestling with evil spirits. Naked people were dashing around the city, uh, bleeding, and all sorts of crazy stuff was happening. But we should know this was extraordinary. Now, I think there's always a challenge when we read about this kind of stuff in Scripture or when we experience this kind of stuff. And this stuff still does happen in the world today. The challenge is to look beyond just the surface level, beyond the height, beyond the signs and the wonders, significant and as amazing as they might be, and to discover the reason why this stuff is happening in the first place. The why is always more significant than the what. Well, thankfully, our scripture reading this morning gives us at least four of the deeper, beyond the superficial reasons for these events happening. Verse 17, as a consequence, the name of Jesus in Ephesus was being honored. Verse 18, many people believed and then confessed their sin and they did so publicly. Verse 19, demonic practices were being publicly denounced. And verse 20, the word of God was uh, growing widely and it was growing in power in this incredible city, which was so demonic. You see, our scripture verses this morning are really keen to point out that something more amazing is happening above and beyond even the signs and the wonders that are going on amongst them. The greater triumph in this moment was not the physical healing of people. It wasn't even the casting out of a few demons. The greater triumph and the greater wonder was this amazing truth that people were becoming the children of God for the whole of eternity. The greater wonder is that people were becoming followers of Jesus, and in this God-forsaken city, Jesus was the name that was being lifted higher than any other name. That was the greater wonder, even greater than the signs and the wonders. 
And in a sense, of course, all this is the same challenge that we've heard week after week already in this teaching series. series. Prophecy is great, but it has a greater purpose beyond just the prophecy itself. Tongues and their interpretation, they're brilliant, but actually they have a greater purpose beyond hearing and then interpreting a language which is otherwise unintelligible. Spiritual gifts bring kingdom blessing beyond the blessing of the gifts themselves. Kingdom gifts or spiritual gifts bring kingdom blessing beyond the blessing of the gifts themselves. In other words, we need to to look for the blessing or the fruit that comes beyond the initial blessing of a spiritual gift being exercised. And in our scripture reading this morning, we hear exactly the same challenge. In our story, the message is, look, don't pursue spiritual gifts because they make you or they make the church look good, but pursue them and use them, use them well. Why? Because they glorify Jesus and because they bless other people. There's another message in our text today, which is don't pursue spiritual gifts because they make you rich. Let's be honest, there are a few name it and claim it preachers out there who pop up on my TV every now and again who need to hear exactly that message. Spiritual gifts should always point towards Jesus and towards the good news of the gospel. They should never point towards ourselves, and spiritual gifts should never, ever point towards our wallets. I would encourage you to be deeply suspicious of anyone who exercises a spiritual gift alongside a request to give from your credit cards. Spiritual gifts of every kind, the dramatic ones that we're talking about in this series, But spiritual gifts of every kind are the most fantastic signposts towards Jesus. That's the purpose of them. Our scripture story this morning reminds us, doesn't it, as if we needed reminding of it, that when we come to faith in Jesus, we're engaging in a spiritual battle. Ephesus, as we've heard, is a city full of pagan gods. It's a city saturated with witchcraft and all sorts of other demonic magical practices. In fact, uh, demonic possession was so prevalent in Ephesus that exorcists were making an incredibly healthy living by expelling or at least trying to expel these demons. This is big industry that Paul is challenging here in our story. Perhaps it's no wonder given that context that Paul writes so much about this theme of spiritual warfare to his letter to the Ephesians, his letter to the church in Ephesus, encouraging them to be a people who wear the full armor of God as they go about their mission and their ministry. He said to them, wear the belt of truth, wear the breastplate of righteousness, wear the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, wear the helmet of salvation, and remember to brandish the sword of the Spirit, or in other words, the Word of God. I wonder if you saw what was happening in that scripture reading as I read it to you in Ephesus. In a place dominated by that which was fake and harmful, people began to hunger for that which was real and good. And you know, I sense this is a word for us in season here as a church. In a place which is dominated by that which is fake and harmful, people hunger for what is real and what is life-bringing. In other words, when we live with even more integrity, when we're a people who live with ever greater authenticity and passion for Jesus, people will hunger even more for the thing that it is that we've discovered. The challenge is to live authentically in a cosmetic world, to be good news, to be truth, to live out truth, to live an honest faith in a world of fake news and in a world of phony saviors. 
In so many ways, our world here in Christchurch today is not that different from the world that Paul encountered. Fake news is being exposed as it's confronted with the truth of Jesus. The authenticity of Christ is trumping that which is bogus. Jesus is firmly putting Satan back into his box. It's an amazing cocktail. What an incredible combination of things that's going on here. People are seeing evil things. They're seeing demons that can cause harm to people alongside a call for repentance. And then Paul ministers into that using his spiritual gifts, a follower of Jesus just like, the, like us. He exercises his spiritual gift of healing and deliverance. And somewhere in the mix of all of that, the people of Ephesus are enthusiastically accepting the invitation to come to know and love Jesus as Lord and Savior. When people see how Paul has access to real life-bringing power that can free them, they abandon their magic at a cost of three million pounds, and they follow Jesus. Isn't this brilliant? But we should note that these kind of miracles are exactly as they're described on the tin in verse 11. They are extraordinary. Now, at the point we join the story in Acts today, the Apostle Paul finds himself in something of a crisis because of what's already been happening in his ministry. As Jesus is honored, Satan does everything that he can do to draw attention to himself. The more radically Jesus is honored, the more of a drama queen that Satan becomes. Satan's a terrible attention seeker. In our text today, Satan's flawed attention-seeking attempts happen as some Jewish exorcists are trying as best as they can to work with Paul's methods and invoking the name of Paul's saviour. And guess what? It doesn't work. They fail terrifically. These men discovered that you can't traffic the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus, which is the name above every other name, is not a name that should be toyed with. It's not a name that should be associated with any kind of immoral or demonic practice. Now, I say all of this this morning as something of a word of caution, because I think we can find, even in the church, that we can fall into a similar trap where we maximize the spectacular and the pursuit of it whilst minimizing Jesus. We maximize the spectacular, we minimize Jesus as we pursue sometimes these signs and these wonders, and we end up leaving Jesus on the shelf. I'll explain what I mean by that in just a moment. This week, I've been wrestling with a really difficult question because it's born out of a pastoral reality. This week, I've wrestled with a question which is a question of pastoral concern, and to be honest, it's a question that I don't like wrestling with in ministry, but I have to wrestle with it. And the question is this, is should we often be experiencing the kinds of signs and wonders that we've read about in Acts this morning? Often. And I think the answer is no. We should not expect that that which is extraordinary should become ordinary in our personal lives or in the lives of the church. Now, before you stone me for saying that, let me try and explain what I mean based on what I'm increasingly seeing happening in the church around the world. You see, I could introduce you to loads of churches and church leaders in the UK and around the world who would claim that extraordinary miracles should be the everyday, ordinary experience of the church. But I think there's a problem with that view. 
Because even in the churches that are promoting that kind of a theology, miracles are not taking place every single time that they pray in line with their theology. And people are not often healed in the ways that they claim, or at least not in the ways that they told God that they should be healed. And you know, all of that really concerns me because followers of Jesus can end up feeling guilt and disappointment and even disillusionment. And it might just be that you've come from a similar context and you're wrestling with guilt caused by being told that you didn't have enough faith. That's why it didn't happen. Or maybe you're wrestling with disillusionment that you felt you had enough faith, but it didn't make a difference. And that's left you feeling disappointed. But you know, the thing is, Jesus, I don't think, as I read the Gospels, ever promised that that world would be our reality this side of heaven, ever. Now, of course, the hope of the miraculous is very attractive to people because there are lots of people who are struggling with disease and illness and sickness of all kinds, and they're desperate, rightly so, to be healed of that sickness. This is a pastoral wrestle for me because we've got lots of people in our church who are suffering with all kinds of illness and disease, and I long for their healing. I pray for their healing. But we need to be honest. We need to have an honest faith. I often pray for folk like this, and I would rejoice if God would miraculously heal them. (laughs) As I listen to Jill's story, it reminded me of a ministry I think I probably had in the healing ministry some three or four years ago. We had a number of people who ended up in hospital having had bowel surgery done. And you'll know if you've ever had that happen, it takes a while for the bowel to get going. So I'd go and visit these folk in hospital, hear their story. And before I left, I'd pray a very direct prayer. Lord, would you help their bowel to move in Jesus' name? And I can't tell you how many times I got a text message half an hour later. You'll never guess what's just happened. I've had the privilege of praying for people and they've been healed. Some of us have had the privilege of being healed of all sorts of things. But I can tell you I've prayed for more people for healing who haven't been healed. And isn't this why we need to have an honest faith over these things? Of course God does heal, doesn't he? Sometimes not in the ways we tell him he should heal. And you know, I think it's really significant that Luke notes that these miracles in Ephesus were extraordinary, even for the Apostle Paul. Verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. In a sense, it seems to me that Paul's uh, miracles here parallel the extraordinary miracles that were performed through Peter for a very brief period during history. But here's the thing. I think it's significant that apart from Stephen and Philip in the New Testament, there are no miracles recorded as performed by anyone other than the apostles and by Jesus. In fact, even as you skim through the whole Bible, you discover miracles are not uniformly sprinkled all over the place as an ordinary everyday occurrence. So does that mean that God has stopped working miraculously today? Does that mean that the sick cannot be miraculously healed? Does that mean as a church we should not be praying for the healing of those who are sick and unwell? No, it doesn't. We should be praying in that way. But I think we need to be really careful not to somehow demote God from being the sovereign he knows best, God. You see, when it comes to this issue of healing, we should allow God to use us according to his will and for his glory but we should not use God for our own purposes. 
And that, it seems to me, is the difference in our scripture reading between Paul and how these Jewish exorcists were exercising their ministry. Paul was praying, Lord, your will in heaven be done here on earth. The exorcists were praying, my will on earth be done here in heaven. God or deities, whoever, you do exactly as I'm telling you to do or else. You see, Paul was allowing God to use him according to God's will and for God's glory. But these charlatans were using God for their own financial gain. Jesus is a not-for-profit saviour. He's not a genie in a bottle who we summons up every time we want our wish to be fulfilled. Can you see the tension that we walk in here? We should be praying in faith, but at the same time, we should honour the truth that God is sovereign and God knows what is best. Seems to me, alongside the John the Baptist... Paul lived by a principle that Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Let's speak about Jesus more. Let's talk about ourselves less. If God heals you or God gives you the incredible privileges, he's given to me on occasion the, the, the ability or the, and the, the blessing of being involved in the healing of somebody, then let's give God the glory. Let's not draw attention to ourselves. And let's absolutely not draw attention to our wallets. Can God heal miraculously today? Yes, he can. Have we seen God heal miraculously in our church community? Yes, we have. There are testimonies sitting amongst us this morning where that has happened. But it doesn't happen half as much as I'd love it to happen. And it doesn't happen half as much as some of the so-called signs and wonders churches and movements claim that it happens. If God chooses in his will to use us to heal someone through our prayers or to deliver someone from a demonic power, then we should be available for him to do it. And we should pray in that way. But if we try to use those powers or that gifting for our own purposes, then we're not making Jesus Lord. We're making ourselves Lord of our own lives. We should be a people of integrity who live in daily repentance and humility, who seek to magnify the name of Jesus and the word of God and the gospel. We should be a people who are subject to the will of God. And you're not going to like me saying this, because I don't like saying it. But we should be subject to the will of God, which sometimes includes suffering in our lives. He doesn't cause it, but he does sometimes allow it. Do you know, I've discovered from my own journey of faith that I grow more and more quickly when I walk with God in the dark mile of suffering than I do if he just gave me a miracle. And I've seen this happen so many times in the journeys partially we've taken with people. If we model honest faith in the middle of suffering, then it can lead others into a healing, saving, eternal relationship with the Father because of what we've modeled Supernatural endurance through sickness and disability will sometimes inspire non-believers to wonder if there is something even better than a pain-free earthly existence. God is able to make the ordinary extraordinary, but it seems to me he doesn't make the extraordinary ordinary every day of the week. Rather than trying to use God, we should let God use us and sometimes he does that through this gift of healing Jesus came to offer you and me 
a better healing. Jesus didn't come to to save us from our physical sickness, although sometimes he does do that. Even if Jesus does bring physical healing into our lives, the greater purpose is always about salvation for eternity. God is a God who grants the gift of healing according to his perfect, sovereign, God knows what's best for us, will. There's someone in our church family who I want to honor this morning. And actually, she's representative of a whole load of other people in the life of our church, and her name is Julie. Julie Bolton. And Julie, a few weeks ago, received the devastating diagnosis that she's got incredibly advanced pancreatic cancer, and it's inoperable. It's inoperable. But Julie's someone who models bold humility. Alongside Julie and her husband Stuart, Kay and I had the privilege of boldly standing with her and praying, Lord Jesus, would you bring healing into Julie's life? And she was really open to that. We were bold in that. But too, we had the humility to say, your will in heaven, God, be done here on earth. You're sovereign and we trust you in this journey. Julie's faith is sustaining her through, in earthly terms, what's an incredibly difficult journey for her and the family. And yet she's modeling faith in a saviour who's promised her an even better healing than even a physical healing would give to her. We honor Julie this morning, and I want to honor those of you who have your own particular stories of needing healing and those of you who have suffered. And we realize it's difficult. Can God heal? Yes, of course he can. He's God. Is God sovereign? Yes, he is. And somewhere in our ministry, as we think about this theme, we need to walk that middle line of praying with boldness, but praying too with humility. As a church family, we're called to grieve with those who grieve, who mourn with those who mourn. And experience loss with those who have loss. We've wept with Julie and we've wept with Stuart. But we're going to keep praying for her. I wonder if for a moment we can be still. And I want to just read to you some words. And these words remind us of the better healing that's ours when we're in Jesus Christ. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell. It's a promise. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more pain. 
There will be no more death or mourning or crying for the old order of things has passed away. That's our promise. That's our hope. It's better even than an earthly healing. Does that mean we shouldn't pray for healing? No, it doesn't. It means we should pray with boldness, but too with the humility of recognizing that God is God and he knows what's best for us. Sometimes it can be tough living with honest faith, but it's honest faith that we're called to this morning. Let's be still together for a moment as we pray. Lord, in so many ways this morning, I would love to take this scripture verse and use it as a proof text for what happens in the here and now. I'd love to stand here and say that every time we pray for somebody, people are healed. That every wrestle and every struggle will just disappear as we speak out our prayers. But Lord, I'd be a liar. But Lord, too, in this series, we've recognized that you're a God who gives incredible gifts. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for every single story that there is of people being healed miraculously or people being healed miraculously through the intervention of medical advances and through medicine, through the care of incredibly skilled doctors and nurses. We thank you. But Lord, too, this morning, we want to stand with our brothers and sisters in Christ, recognizing that that's not necessarily been their experience, and they've continued to suffer and continued to find things tough. Lord, I thank you for the example of Julie, for those she represents. Thank you that she's continued to stand with the strength that you've given for this journey, with boldness, but Lord, too, with humility. And Lord, we take a moment just of stillness this morning for you to, to speak to us. Just sense this morning that it might just be that somebody is given a, a word, a picture, a scripture verse perhaps for, for Julie, for Stuart, for the family. And just want to encourage you just in the silence to, to gather that in, to think on it, and then maybe just share it with us in the week that's ahead. Let's be still, let's be open to the thought that we could strengthen, encourage, and comfort Julie through the ministry that God allows through us. Lord, we thank you this morning that you are sovereign, that you're God. Because, Lord, if I ran this earth, it would be a mess. Thank you that we can surrender all these things into your hands, knowing that you love us, you care for us deeply, and you know what's best for us. We thank you. Thank you, Lord, too, that you invite us to pray with those who need to receive this prayer ministry. We commit to that ministry. We do so boldly, but we do so too with humility.
we're going to spend a moment uh, singing a, a song together that just invites us to come into the arms of our Savior, the safest place we can be. Hold me close and let your love surround me. I want to encourage you this morning to allow this song just to minister to you as we respond this morning.